You've heard that the tonsils, appendix, and tailbone are vestigial remnants. Is that even remotely true? Find out on Wonders Without Number. Dr. Jerry Bergman has taught biology, biochemistry, anatomy, genetics, and psychology in universities around the country. He has nine degrees, including a PhD from Wayne State University. With over a thousand publications to his name, including over 20 books, his work has been translated into 13 languages. So if you would now, please join with me as we welcome Dr. Jerry Bergman. Thank you. Absolutely. Great, great to be here. It is great to have you here. Give me just a little bit of background. Now, you've taught a lot of different subjects. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, vestigial organs is important because when I was an atheist, the first thing I thought I would tackle is this question. Okay. Because the biology books that we had then, and unfortunately some today, mm -hmm. said we had uh, many vestigial organs, had, had no function, no yes. use. And so I thought, well, that would not be difficult to find out indeed, does the medical literature show they have a use? And so I embarked on a research project basically to take each of the examples found in my biology book to determine indeed do they have a use and I found all of them had a use. Now that time they felt vestigial was useless. Okay. Now the word vestigial has evolved. You know, <laughs> some things do evolve. Yes. The word vestigial has evolved and now what they say what is vestigial is something that had a use in the past but a different use today. Ah, so okay. They, now they get around the problem that they found a use for these. Okay. But indeed, uh, that is not vestigial we're talking about. That is homology. Yes. We're talking about two structures that are similar but have similar functions. Okay. And my, I've taught anatomy for many years, and none of the anatomy books I've used, mm -hmm. we use standard anatomy books to teach the class, yeah. none of them even have the word vestigial. And okay. none of them claim any of the organs are vestigial. In fact, they give functions for all of the organs that I talk about in my, my book. Yet, still, if you turn on a, a science program on TV, if you, uh, you know, I mean, it's just become sort of culture that we think that we have useless things inside of us that are leftover remnants of evolution. Now, one of the, uh, one of the times that uh, I've met you in the past, you gave me a copy of your book, Vestigial Organs Are Fully Functional. And uh, I started reading through that, and that was really what prompted me to say, would you please come on the program and talk about some things? And so while I love some of the other topics that you cover, this may be one of my favorite because we're looking at not only the human body, other, other organisms and other uh, animals, they all function extremely well and they do the job that they were created to do extremely well. Let's take a look at a few examples. That's true, and there are many examples. I'll just cover a few. Sure. I'll cover the more famous. Okay. Well, first of all, how many are there? And mm -hmm. Wiedershine, a German anatomist, although his book was translated into English, he listed 86. Somehow that number got mutated to 186. Oh, okay. And I'm not sure how, and I repeated that myself until mm -hmm. I did more research and got, <laughs> got his book and found huh. out indeed that it's not uh, 186, it was about 86. That's still a lot. Uh, st yeah, it okay. is. So I try to correct that. Yes. And we're talking about the appendix, the coccyx, pineal gland, and so on. Uh -huh. Now there are none left. And what surprises me is that this was seen for years as a major evidence of evolution. Okay. In fact, if you look at books 
that cover evolution, mm -hmm. they either have a chapter on this or at least a section that covers this topic. Hmm. Which, so it's still being taught. Yes. It's interesting, they take biology and they learn about vestigial organs, mm -hmm. and then they take anatomy and physiology, and then they learn these vestigial organs they thought were vestigial are not, <laughs> not vestigial. <laughs> okay. So that's kind of intriguing. It really is. There's a, there's a lot going on here, a lot of play going on where one person is not talking to the other when they write these books, I think. Uh, that's part of it. That's part of the problem. And the reason they saw this is so important is, and if you think about it, it makes sense, why would God make a body, any body, a mm. plant or animal body, with all these organs that have no use? Right. Would you build a car with a bunch of things in there that had no function whatsoever? No, no you wouldn't. No. And so they say this must be evidence for evolution, not for creation. Okay. And that's the common argument. And so I ended up with this book, which was the first book I wrote in this area. So this was the book, this was the topic that really got me into the creation movement. Okay. So it was important for me because I was always interested in anatomy. I had biology background, taught biology at the high school and later the college level. So I looked into this. Okay. And interesting, this is the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yes. And this is the 2003 edition. And I looked under uh, human evolution and it said here, and you can't read that, so I enlarged it. Okay. It says the human body, for instance, has more than a hundred such organs. The appendix, the fused tail vertebra, with the coccyx, okay. the wisdom teeth, the muscles that wiggle the ears, and the hair on the body. Hmm. And of course, all of these are not vestigial at all. Mm -hmm. They all have uh, fairly important functions. Now, obviously, everything in our body is not going to be critically important. Sure. You can live without you know, one earlobe. You can live <laughs> without certain things. You can live without a number of things. You can live without a kidney. That's true. But that doesn't mean they're not functional. Exactly. They have an important function. In fact, that Two kidneys is important if you lose one, if one becomes diseased. Ah, uh, yeah. And by the way, they call that over-design. We have over-design, we have more than is needed. And the best example of over-design is elevators. When they, when they design an elevator, mm -hmm. they n put as many people as they can get in the elevator, okay. and then they weigh how many people are in there, uh -huh. and then they multiply that by either three or five. Hmm. So that way, it is well beyond what the elevator will ever carry. Okay. And that's called the safety factor. And that's what we have in many ways in our body. We can have certain failures, but we have a backup, and therefore we have over-design, not for everything. Uh, I wish we had two hearts. Yeah, right, right. That might cause a problem, though. <laughs> but we do have two of many structures, or we have other structures that take over the st structure of a function that's, that's lost. And it's almost like a creator has known this from the beginning and planned certain of those backup systems for us. Over-design, right. Well, Over-design, I which, love it. Which people do. Okay. And uh, Oscoxix, this is probably one of the most famous examples mm -hmm. because that was believed to be what's well, called the tailbone. Yes. But it <laughs> was believed to be vestigial. It's three to five bones. Okay. And uh, occasionally, well, let's look at the coccyx first. Yeah. What function does it serve? It serves a very important function. It's an attachment for many muscles. Okay. And so in the part of the body, that the, above the legs, mm -hmm. you have a number of muscles which are connected to this structure. And so it's a very oh. important structure for muscle attachment. Okay. So it does have a critical function. Yes. A surgeon told me that you, you have sometimes you damage the tailbone, it's painful, mm -hmm. and they remove it. So then they have to rewire these structures so they're connected somewhere else. Oh, okay. But he added that rarely does it solve the problem. Really? He says, I'll remove it, I, but I'll tell the patient, uh -huh. you, you, you may still have a problem back there. You may still have pain. Yes. In fact, that may cause more problems. 
Okay. So it's not that you can't live without it, it's that you're a lot better with it. With it. Uh, it, it has function. Okay. It says. And there you can see at the bottom here, okay. that's the oscoccyx. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. right here uh, below the sacrum. So Darwin said maybe this is what's left of a tail. Right. Hmm. That's what he argued. And there are a lot of pictures. Occasionally you get, in fact, I just wrote an article on this, which I'm working on the tail specifically. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes they have tail-like growths. Okay. It turns out the vast majority of these are not anywhere near a tail in structure. Okay. They're not connected to the vertebral column as our tails. Okay. And they lack, typically lack the bony structure. And uh, sometimes they are actually part of the vertebral column. Uh -huh. And then we have a, a problem which that has to be removed, and sometimes that causes damage to the nervous system, to the spinal cord. Wow. Okay. And so that can be a problem. But here's a couple of pictures. Yes. And there you can see the tail, but that's is up higher, and it's is typically cartilage, typically not bone. Not bone. And hmm. it's found only not only in the rear of the, in this case, the baby, mm -hmm. but it's also found on the neck, for example. Oh, really? And it's found many other places, okay. so we wouldn't argue that's a tail. No, no, absolutely and so not. So these are not tails. Okay, okay. And, uh, and the appendix, the next most common one. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting when I teach anatomy, we'll talk about the appendix, and I say, well, what does the appendix do? Mm -hmm. And students will invariably say, well, it doesn't have any function. It just causes a problem. Okay. Or the brighter students will say, well, this helps the doctor buy his new Mercedes, <laughs> which is uh -huh. an interesting comment. Uh -huh. And the appendix now, we know, has a very important function. <laughs> it's not vestigial. In fact, it's one of the most commonly cited examples, but it has now at least five different functions. It's part of the immune system. It's kind of the tonsils somewhere else. Okay. And it does have a, an immunological function. And it has another function, which we just recently uh, did research on and found, and here you can see a picture of where it is, mm -hmm. right here, mm -hmm. called the vermiform appendix, and of course that means worm-like. Mm -hmm. And it is right in the ileocecal sphincter area here, okay. and right by the cecum. The cecum is the lower part of the ascending colon, uh -huh. of what they call the large intestine. Okay. It's the shortest one, but the fattest part of the intestines. Huh. And it has, so the appendix has at least five known uses right now. Right. And the most recent one, the most interesting one, and in relative to your introduction, is it stores the good bacteria. You're listening to Wonders Without Number with David Reeves. The message presented today was filmed in studio at David Reeves Ministries' Wonders of Creation Center and is available in video format with powerful accompanying visuals. Subscribe to our Genesis Plus package online to get instant access to the video format of this message and hundreds of others right on your computer or mobile device. If you are encouraged by this message and would like to be a part of sharing this information with millions across the globe, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at 931 212-7990 or write us at David Reeves Ministries Post Office Box 2824 Lewisburg, Tennessee 37091 Visit our website davidreeves.com today That's davidreeves.com And now, back to Wonders Without Number with David Reeves Really? And when you take antibiotics, it destroys not just the 
bad bacteria, but uh -huh. the good bacteria. Yes. When you have diarrhea, and by the way, you might wonder why people have diarrhea. Yeah. Well, diarrhea is like taking a hose and washing out your garage floor. Oh. Your clean floor. Okay, okay. <laughs> and so it's cleaning the system. Uh -huh. And diarrhea is very functional. It is what I stress, a important function, yeah. okay, which occurs in an abnormal situation. So hmm. it's a normal function okay. that occurs in an abnormal situation. Wow. And so when you have bacterial infection of the wrong kind in uh -huh. the colon, it washes it out. Well, sometimes it gets too aggressive okay. and washes too much out, and that can be a big problem. Right. And so what the body does is it's got a safe house for the good bacteria, which we need, mm -hmm. called probiotics. That's a major area now in, uh, in medicine. It certainly so is. So it has the good bacteria, and then it can repopulate the colon as a result of either antibiotics or disease or uh, uh, other problems like diarrhea. Right. And so it has that very important function. It's, it's closed somewhat, and the good bacteria grow in there. Uh -huh. Now, bad bacteria can get in there. Yes. And that's the problem, and of course, if that becomes inflamed, we have a problem, and if it bursts, then we end up in the whole peritoneal area. We end up with lots of bacteria, which is a big problem. Okay. So they need to they need to cut it out. But that's like if you're, you know, you flood your garage. It doesn't mean you tear your garage down. It means you fix the problem. Right. And in this case, you have no choice. You have to, in many cases, remove it. But okay. by and large, and I do surveys of my anatomy students, and I find about eighty percent still have their, eighty percent or more still have their appendix. So mm. it's not removed now unless it's absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. Whereas it used to be removed, well, in many states, in Ohio, where I'm from, it was removed just when the doctor was in there. And really? you do surgery and he said, well, I was in there, I just took out your appendix. Just might as well, because it's, it's useless. Yeah. And it went from useless to now, and what else might the future hold? If we give this another few years, what other functions might we find in some of these things? It's hard to say. In yeah. fact, the safe house, that surprised a lot of people uh -huh. when they came out with that research, that we didn't expect that finding. But wow. we knew it had an immunological function. And so we knew, therefore, it had an important function. So it's part of the immune system. Okay. And uh, it works effectively. In a sense, it gets infected because it's overworked. Okay. It's okay. kind of like overeating. Yeah. If you don't eat, you die. <laughs> right. If you overeat, you, you die as well. well. That's right. So it's a problem. You have to uh, balance it. Okay. Tonsils and adenoids, the next most commonly one. And this strikes home to me because when I was, I think, about five, maybe, mm -hmm. the doctor said, well, you have to have your tonsils out. Mm. And I said, why? Mm -hmm. He said, well, they don't have any function. Mm. And as a five-year-old, I said, well, why are they there? Uh -huh. He says, well, from evolution. Okay. They used to have a function in our evolutionary ancestors. Okay. And I kind of wondered about that. And, well, the doctor said, better get them out uh -huh. when you're young. So they took them out, and they grew back. Okay. And then I had to have them out again. Oh, no. And so this is kind of a memory of my childhood. Yeah. It stuck with me, and uh, this is one thing that got me into looking at this vestigial organ question. Okay. And so it's the first line of defense, you can see, and there are actually several tonsils. The ling lingual tonsils, for example, okay. the palatine tonsils, and mm -hmm. Pharyngeal right tonsils, so there are several sets. Okay. And it's the first line of defense, and of course, when your body is invaded by bacteria for whatever reason, mm -hmm. it's the first that gets the, the attack. Okay. It's like the front line in a battle. You know, you, when you put somebody in the, as you know, the biblical story, when yeah. you put somebody in the front line, <laughs> you're almost, almost a death sentence. Right. So you're going in the front line. Uh -huh. You say, oh no, it's. But it's I'm to prevent it from doing damage past that. Exactly. So it, it serves a very important function. 
Sometimes it, it can get infected. It, it gets, oh, it's overworked. Yes. yes, okay. It swells, like when you have infection, it swells and gets overworked. Huh. And especially when you have a small, your small child, mm -hmm. a small area, it can get overworked, get too large, and then block your breathing ability. Okay. And so it can be a problem. Sure. And so removing it just moves the problem down the, the road. It's yeah. like removing the first line in a, a battle, a uh -huh. first defense, and then, well, the, the second line The second line it. is going to be getting attacked uh, even harder. Okay. So that's why it's important. And we found, by the way, with tonsillectomies, it may reduce the breathing problem, but the number of colds and so on, several studies find, doesn't really change much. Really? Doesn't, okay, I did not know that. Doesn't reduce it as they thought. It, if anything, it increases it. Uh-huh. Uh, well, the rest of the immune system is pretty effective, so yes. it's not a major, a major problem. Okay, so again, time, over time, science has discovered that things thought to have no purpose actually have very important functions. Yeah, very okay. important, or at least an important function. Yes. And uh, in this, I quote several studies here where they found no significant difference, the number of colds, sore throats, and other respiratory infections after a tonsillectomy. Huh. So that's uh, what we called. And they're called supernodes, the tonsils. Oh, okay. And there's some indication that removal of the tonsils can cause an increased likelihood of certain kinds of cancers. Really? And this is problematic because we haven't done that many studies because we're all concerned about other factors causing sure. cancer. Sure. There's the thymus, which is one of the more interesting ones. The thymus, as we get older, it shrinks. And so I thought, well, it has no function because okay. it shrinks. Then when actually a creationist started doing research and they would remove when the thymus became inflamed or various problems, they'd remove it. And he decided to f interview his patients later on. Mm -hmm. And he found when it was removed, there were problems. Really? And uh, well, what does it do? I could mention it yeah. matures T cells. Okay. And uh, it's less important during childhood, so it does shrink because it's less needed. Okay. Because once the T cells are mature, and that's where the word T cells comes from, hmm. the thymus. But of course, at that time, they didn't know the thymus had a function. Uh -huh. And since it shrinks when we get older, well, just obviously has no function. Right, but it's just less important when you're an adult. Right, because your T system system is developed. Hmm. The thyroid is uh, another interesting case, and uh, this is where they thought again adults could survive after removing part of the thyroid gland. Mm -hmm. So they thought, well, it had no function. Okay. And the surgeon in this case, he Theodor Kocher, who was a uh, I think he was burned Switzerland is where he was at. Mm -hmm. But before his research, surgeons commonly removed the thyroid. And as a creationist, he said there must be a function. Okay. And I don't know what the function is, no one else does, yeah. but I want to compare those who had a complete thyroidectomy mm -hmm. and those who had a partial thyroidectomy, and that's what he did. And there you can see a goiter is a result of, again, this is a normal situation to an abnormal problem, okay. a normal response to an abnormal problem. Uh. And uh, what happens here is, is that lack of iodine does not allow the thyroid to do its job. And so the thyroid gets bigger to do its job. Oh. It's like if you, something isn't working, the yeah. pencil's too small, you get a larger pencil. Okay. So it gets larger to do its job, which is producing the thyroid hormones. And as a result, we end up with the hormones we need. Yes. We don't have the level we need, the thyroid works harder and gets bigger, okay. but it still can't produce the thyroid hormone because it has to have the iodine. Huh. 
to produce the two main hormones are what they call T3 and T4. So it's trying to do its job, but in, in, as a result, sometimes it, uh, it, it gets larger problems in other places. Okay. It's the goiter. Okay. So the solution to that is not surgery. It's not a disease. The solution is yeah. just iodine. And they solve that by putting iodine in something we all use, which is salt. Wow. That's why salt is iodized, because salt. we just about all always use it. <laughs> and he was a Moravian, by the way, uh, Dr. Cocker was. Uh -huh. And uh, he therefore did research and compared, in fact, one young, I think they're twins or sisters. Mm -hmm. He compared the two. One had the complete thyroidectomy and the one did, did not. Okay. And therefore, he compared the two and he was astounded at the difference. Hmm. And he founded that one that had the complete mm -hmm. became cretinoid, became a cretin. Huh. And uh, then he took... Uh, records of 102 patients and was able to compare 28 that he could contact. He couldn't contact all of them. They moved away and got married and so on. But uh -huh. he contacted them and found indeed that it would a complete removal produced the Cretan result. Oh, okay. And so then we realized as his creation worldview uh -huh. told him, we realized that you got a problem. Yes. If you have to remove part of it, remove mm -hmm. part of it. Now what they do if they have to remove all of it because of cancer, what they do is they give you thyroid injections, T3 and T4. I forget which one, but they, okay. you have to have the hormone in order to function properly, especially when you're growing up. Wow. When you're an adult, it can be dealt with by other means. Uh -huh. But when you're growing up to develop normally, you have to have these, these hormones and uh, otherwise you end up with a cretin. So he is honored, by the way, openly because of his development of his knowledge, because his insight resulted from his reading the scriptures and his belief in what the Bible taught. Wow. That's interesting. And That's uh, very he, interesting. I think it's a good example where creationism has told us what's true and yes. evolution has misled us because they thought, well, it just, it's a useless organ and it's a result of evolution and... Therefore, let's remove it, no problem. And we've seen this kind of thing in science uh, in, in many instances where uh, and we could talk about, uh, you know, germ theory. Mm -hmm. We could talk about the miasma theory that uh, some diseases were caused by poisonous air and all of this. We could talk about bloodletting. And all of these practices, even within the scientific community, that as they did more research, they're like, wait a second, that makes no sense. This is much, much more logical an explanation. And what they're finding each step of the way is that it all was predated by modern science in the scriptures. The microbiology book we use by Black, is a leading microbiology book, and in the first couple of chapters it talks about, uh, the Bible talked about cleanliness. When you take a trip, yes. thou takest a shovel. Uh -huh. And it doesn't explain in the Bible what that's for. <laughs> right. And in the book, they explain what that's for. Mm -hmm. And that basically means a major spread of disease is as a result of dung, of fecal matter. Yes. And so you take a shovel and you bury it. And uh -huh. that's for cleanliness. And when they did that, of course, the disease was less common among the Jews. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, people thought that, well, the Jews were influenced by Satan. Satan was doing this. Uh -huh. They didn't realize that, indeed, they were doing this because that's what the Old Testament taught. And later on, when they realized this, of course, how important this was, now we, of course, have sanitary sewer systems. Mm -hmm. and they come out your house, you have a, uh, a uh, other type of system. They come out your house and check and make sure it's good because a major spread of disease is a fecal matter. In fact, 
of the fecal matter of dry weight. Mm -hmm. Dung, as the Bible often uses mm -hmm. the term. Dry weight fecal matter is 40% is bacteria. Thank you, Dr. Bergman, so much for being here. And Thank you. We're going to have to have you back on Great the future to be program. Here. Okay, looking forward. We've learned that so many supposed vestigial organs actually have purpose. Just because we don't understand a feature in anatomy, to assume that it's worthless is reckless. The more we study each field of science, the more we realize that complexity and information speaks to the existence of a designer. I'm not talking about just any designer, but the God of the Bible. Because of our rebellion against Him, we don't have perfect bodies, but they work remarkably well and they are full of wonder. You see, we can be cleansed of our sins by faith in Jesus Christ, who shed His blood for us. Have you answered His call? We hope that you've been encouraged and educated today, and we want to give you the tools that you need to boldly go forward and share what you've learned. Leave us questions and comments on our Facebook page and give us a call to learn more. I'm David Reeves, and until next time, keep looking up. Truly, the heavens declare the glory of God.